All right, please stand to your feet. We're in Philippians chapter 1. We ended with um, verse 6 last time, so we're going to pick up verse 7, and we're actually going to read all the way, and we're going to study all the way down to verse 17. You're saying, no, Pastor, I don't believe you can do it. <laughs> but we did it in the first service, so I believe for a miracle happening again in this service. So Philippians 1, 7 through verse 17, New King James, let's read together. Just as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So it has become evident in the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ, and most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife, and some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. Let's pray over our meal. Father, we thank you for the word of God, that it is blessed. And it will sanctify us. And we thank you, Lord, Holy Spirit, that you are the teacher. And we thank you that you're anointing the eyes, ears, and heart of each person that's listening. You're opening them by the gift of your grace, causing them to see, hear, and understand what's being said. Father, these are your children standing in your presence. And Lord, I thank you that you're able and you're going to speak to them something out of this message they need. And only you can do this miracle. I believe it's happening right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Give someone a high five on your way down. Amen. You know, when I, when I was doing uh, children dedications before, I, I really wanted to get very technical with it and wanted to do it right, so I ended up doing the Lion King. Um, but I almost dropped a baby, and that's a service killer, so... Joanne said, don't do that anymore, so you're not allowed to do that, so <laughs> praise God, so we stay away from that. All right, verse 7, let's start unpacking our meal. It says, just as it's right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers with me of grace. Paul says, it's, it's right for me to think this. Think what? Well, it goes back to verse 6. Verse 6 says that I'm confident of this very thing, that he that began a good work in you is faithful to complete what he started in you, finish what he started in you. And he says, it's right for me to think this. Why? Well, first of all, is that the Philippian church has borne fruit. And the fruit of their care, their partnership, their joy, their love is evident. And so fruit was coming from their life. And so a fruit comes from a seed, a seed but a root and fruit comes from a root, and so it was showing that they had taken root. God started a good work in them, and so they're bearing fruit. You know what? If you know someone that proclaims to know Jesus but see no spiritual fruit, there's a question. Did God start a good work in them? Is there a root on the inside of them? But there was fruit there, and so he says, it's right for me to think this, that God started it. He's going to finish because there's fruit in you. And he says, I also think it's right because you're in my heart. God put you in my heart. And so just like the high priest in the Old Testament had an ephod, what was on the ephod? There were stones. And what did the stones represent? The 12 tribes, the people of Israel. And just like the high priest carried the people before an intercessory uh, presence before, the, before God, so Paul said, I pray for you. I pray always for you and bring you before the Lord. And so he says, you're in my heart or upon my heart. And so... He says that you have partnered with me in the defense and confirmation. Say defense, defense and confirmation. The word defense here 
is a Greek word where we get a word apology from. Now, this original word did not mean to say you're sorry. It means to have a defense, a, a defense, a legal defense. And Paul's saying that you're partnering with me while I'm here at Rome, and my job here that the Lord's given me is to give a defense for the Christianity, the faith of the Christianity in front of Nero. I'm going to be brought before his judicial uh, court, and I'm going to give a defense for Christianity, and you're partnering with me. How did they partner with him in the place he is then? Because he's in his own hired house. He's later going to be in the dungeon when he writes 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus, but he's now in a hired house. Where did he get the money for that? The Philippians. They partnered with him financially, and he's in a hired house, and so they're there helping him. And it's also said the defense and confirmation. That means establishment. Christianity is going to have an establishment by what Paul does there where he stands up in front of Nero and says, we don't care, we will not bow. We're not going to bow to government, we're not going to bow to anyone, we bow to one Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the Lord that died, rose again from the dead, and offers salvation. So Christianity is being established and they're partnering with him in this. I think it was very interesting to know that those in Philippi were Roman citizens. Philippi was a Roman colony. And those in the Roman colony were Roman citizenship. So there was much at stake for them to stick their neck out for Paul, to financially give to him, to send people to him, to help him. They were sticking their necks out on being Roman citizens there. I think it's important that we stick our neck out for people when they're going through difficult times. Let me say something. Your true friends are not found in prosperity. Your true friends are found in adversity. It's easy when it's, everything's going well for someone to stick with you, but when things aren't looking up, not looking good, who's sticking with you? Those are true partners, true friends, and so those, those people are important. Look at verse 8. For God is my witness, how greatly I long for you with all the affection of Jesus Christ. Look at the word, Paul says, I greatly long. This is a very strong word in the Greek. It means intense longing. The most intense longing, have you ever longed for someone, uh, especially if you're dating, and you haven't seen them in a, like five minutes? Yeah. You're, you're longing for, for to be with them, and well, Paul, this is the word that Paul uses. He's longing to be with them again, and it says, I, I greatly long for you in the bowels, or, or affection here, but the word affection means bowels. Intense uh, guts, intense, uh, I'm sorry, intestines. And that's in the ancient world, the, in, the inner uh, bowels were the seat of emotion. They thought that, we know it's the heart. But they, they believed in that day the bowels were the place where your emotions come from. And so if you're married, I want you to turn to your spouse and say, I love you with all my intestines. <laughs> Go ahead. It'll help your marriage. It'll develop... I don't think it's good for you when you're dating. Look lovingly in their eyes and say, I love you with all my bowels. <laughs> but that's what he was basically saying. What a transformation God made in a man named Saul of Tarsus. Saul of Tarsus. And so, I don't know about you, but the Jews did not like, did you understand the Jews didn't like the Gentiles. Especially the more religious you are, the more you hated the Gentiles. And they were dogs, they were scum, they were not even worth to be spent. And Paul said, he's writing to a Gentile church. He says, I long for you with the deepest feeling of emotions. I am attached to you Gentiles. And so that, that just shows you the power that God does in a heart. If you're having trouble loving people, then I dare say that's, that, that's a heart checkup on your relationship with God. The closer you get to God, the more the love for people will become birthed in your heart. The more you get close to God, because God's heart beats for people, beats for you. And so Paul was so close to Jesus, he got the heartbeat of the Lord. He says, I long for you in the bowels of Jesus Christ. Look at verse 9. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more. Say more and more. That your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. In these verses, Paul's going to bring out a prayer that he's praying. I think it's important that you look up Paul's prayers. You find them in Ephesians 1, Ephesians 3. You find them here in Philippians 1. You find them in Colossians 1. And, 
And so you find them in his epistles, he, he, his prayers that he prays. And so it's important to understand the principles that Paul puts within his prayers. First of all, what's absent from his prayers? Begging. Uh, you know, and usually our prayers is asking for things that are not in our life and praying out of our life the things we don't want or people we don't want. And so you don't see Paul praying that way. You, and so you don't see Paul praying for things, really. You don't see him ever praying for a new donkey for the ministry. Like the old nag died, I need a new donkey. He may have prayed for a donkey, but we don't see that. He didn't pray for a greater partner list, that his engagement uh, uh, calendar, his speaking calendar would be filled up. No, we see him praying for this. He's praying for a revelation, understanding, knowledge, and, and that we would grow in the fruit of the Spirit. So, so we need an understanding of what God's already given to us. We don't need to talk God into giving us anything. We need to see what he's already given us because God has given all things that pertain to life and godliness, our natural life and our spiritual life. It's already been given. You need to see it. And so that's what Paul's prayers is about. And in this, he says, I pray that your love may abound. So, so they had love, and love was working, but it wasn't working to the level that it needed to because there was disunity in this church. And so he says, I, your love needs to abound more and more. And when, the more your love abounds towards other people horizontally, the more unity you're going to find. Look at Colossians 3. Look at verse 14. What is the cornerstone of unity? What is the basis where unity is found? It says, but above all, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. It's the perfect bond. It's the bond of unity. It's love. And so the love of God has no end to it. You can always grow in your love. I know you guys are loving people and, and love's flowing out of you, but guys, you can abound in love more and more because guess what? God is infinite. And you're experiencing a little thimble, and you're thinking, well, I'm happy with this thimble of love, but there's an ocean that still waits for you, but he can only flow to your capacity of your heart. So a prayer should be prayed, Lord, enlarge my heart. Enlarge my heart so that more and more of your love can flow from you to others, agape love. And so his love never runs out on us. There's always more. Say, his love, his love. will never run out on me. It's always flowing. Are we yielding to it? Are we allowing it to flow more and more? So here in this verse is a picture, it's a beautiful picture, of the love of God being a flowing river. Flowing from the throne of God through us to other people, it's a river that flows. But a river needs two banks on either side. If you don't have, uh, a river doesn't have two banks on either side, guess what that's called? A flood. <laughs> it's called devastation, harm. But a river that can be used for electricity and to be used to, to uh, provide water for a well or for personal use, it needs to have the safety of two banks on the other side. And the Word of God shows us there's two banks to the river of the love of God. There's two banks that we need to have in our life to have the love of God flow more and more to other people. And so the first bank is in all knowledge. That's the first bank on one side. And the other bank on the other side is called discernment. Knowledge and discernment are the two banks for the river to flow between. And so we need to have that. And so our love will abound in the channel form, first of all, by knowledge. What's the knowledge? It's the knowledge of the Word of God. The knowledge of the Word of God. And so the love of God will be directed rightly the more you know the word of God. Second of all, the second bank that the river will flow well in is discernment. Where does this come from? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit gives you discernment. So you need the knowledge of the word of God and you need the discernment of the Holy Spirit. And if those are your two banks, your river of love will be productive. It will be helpful. It will be life-giving. But if you don't have these two banks, it's destructive. Let me give you some examples. First of all, you have a Christian brother. Say Christian brother. A Christian brother refuses to work, but he's asking for support. And your love is like, well, I love you. I lo my love, my love, I just want to love my brother. He's in need. And, and so your love wants to flow out to him, but it needs to first of all be guided by the word of God. 
And so what does the word say? That if a Christian refuses to work, he should not eat. It's the word of God. That's actually 2 Thessalonians 3.10. So you know if you're led by the word of God, it's not love to be an enabler. And a lot of times what we call love is being an enabler. And it's not God's love, it's selfish love. You love yourself. And so, so love, the love of God thinks about what's highest and best for the other person. And so we need to think. So sometimes, guys, we need to allow people to experience the consequences from their own actions. The older they get, they need to learn that they have to learn from their own consequences. And that's what love is. And so, so that's the knowledge of the word. But let's give you another example. You're driving along, and there's a guy on the side of the road. He's a beggar, and he has a sign that says, God loves you, and please. And, and so he, he, he says, God bless you, and here's a sign. And, and so your love wants to go out to him, doesn't want to see him. The place. So you give him uh, $50, and he goes down and buys alcohol or some heroin. Have you helped them? No, no. And so you need to have the guidance of the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Now, there may be a time when the Holy Spirit even tells you, this person is the person you give to. This is the person that you give to. And so you need to be open for the discernment of the Holy Spirit. So the Word of God and the discernment of the Holy Spirit will guide your love rightly, and it will bless other people. And so many Christians today want to focus on love, just love. But there's no direction from the Word of God or the discernment of the Holy Spirit. From their perspective, love means tolerance. From them, from love means having an open mind. Uh, to- love for them is accepting anyone and everything. And so many want to think love means keeping an open mind. And so people's minds are so open, their brain has fallen out. <laughs> A pastor just preached his last sermon before retiring. And a young man came up to him afterwards and said, Pastor, I'm so sorry we're losing you. Before you came, I was one who did not care for God. I didn't care for people. And I didn't care about the devil. But through your delightful sermons, I've learned to love all of them. (laughs) That is love without discernment. We're to love God, love others, but hate the devil. And so, look at verse 10. If you'll put everything you're doing and the love of God to the word test and the spirit discernment test, and whatever passes that test, you can approve the things that are excellent. Look at the word approve. The word approve means to test in order to approve and use something. To test it in order to approve it, to use it. And so it says, if you'll put to the test your love or the thing you're wanting to do, your love wants to display itself, but it passes the word test and the spirit test, then then you're going to be able to approve the things that are excellent. Say excellent. The Greek word for excellent is actually in the Greek, things that differ. Things that differ. And so, guys, before us are many different pathways we can take. They differ. Should I take this path, that path, that path, or this path? Which is the best path to take? And so the way that you're going to know the best path to take God's way, God's love way, is it passes the word test, it takes the discernment of the Holy Spirit test, and you're able to pick the best option. Of all the differing ways you can go, the places you can go, you're going to pick the right one every time by letting the love of God be governed by the word of God, the knowledge of the word of God, and the discernment of the Holy Spirit. Pick the best option. Say, I'm going to pick the best option. Because my love's abounding in knowledge and all discernment. Amen. Many Christians simply do not know the right course to take. They're like the pilot who said to the people, I have good news and I have some bad news. The, the good news is we have a tailwind and we're making great time. The bad news is, is we lost all of our instruments and I don't know where we are. That's a lot of Christians. They don't know the direction to go. Well, we can know. The Word can show us. The Spirit will show us the best way. That we may be sincere. 
Say sincere. sincere. This is a very, very interesting Greek word. Uh, and, uh, and it's very interesting where the English word came from. So we're going to discuss both of those. The, the, the Greek word actually means to be ju judged by the sunlight. The Greek word means to judge by sunlight. And the word sincere comes from Latin, which means without wax. Without wax. Put those two together and really understand what this word was talking about. In the ancient world... Often pottery was sold in darkened tents or in hovels in the marketplace. Knowing it was not easy to see clearly, some unscrupulous merchants would sell cracked pottery. And they, had, they would patch the cracks with wax that was hard to see in the darkness. So a wise shopper would take the pottery outside before buying it, put it up to the light, and easily the cracks would appear. And so this talks about that we should live such a light that our life can be brought to the light of the sun, open for all to see, and that we're not ashamed of what someone would see. And the goal of this lesson is, I can't. Join told me I can't say it, so I'm not, I can't. I'll get, I'll get in trouble. Our lives are meant to stand up to the scrutiny of light. Walking in the, in the word, walking in the spirit will keep our love where there's nothing to hide. There's nothing to hide. Love will keep us from stumbling into sin and or causing someone else to stumble. Because hidden sin will trouble us, but it will end up hurting other people. And so we, we're to be without offense, not causing anyone to stumble. Our poor witness can cause others to stumble and turn away from Jesus. People are going to reject Jesus. It's a fact. But just don't let them have an excuse through you. Just don't let them have an excuse looking at your life. Because they say, well, if that's a Christian, I don't want anything to do with it. And so we are to do this until the day of Christ. When's the day of Christ? That's a New Testament term only found in the New Testament. It speaks of the rapture of the Lord Jesus Christ, the day of Christ. And, and so the rapture is part of the church age, and the church age was a mystery in the Old Testament. You can't find the church age in the Old Testament. You can find the second coming of the Lord in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's never called the day of Christ, his second coming. It's called the day of the Lord. The terrible day of the Lord, where he comes back to judge the nations. But the day of Christ in the New Testament is the rapture of the church prior to the day of the Lord. And it says in Thessalonians that it says that we as a church are not destined to the wrath of God. Hallelujah. He's not going to beat up his bride and then marry her. He's going to take us out. And so the day of the Lord is the Old Testament of judgment upon the nations. The day of Christ is the rapture of the church. And it says that we are to live such a Christian life, to be such a witness to people around us. Well, how long until Jesus shows up? Is he here yet? No. no. Guess, what? Guess what? You still have a job to do. It's called the Great Commission. That means to preach and to live the gospel in such a way that the light, it stands the light test. Look at verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Being filled with the what? Filled with the fruits of righteousness. Are you filled with the fruits? What are you filled with? And it says, be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Again, fruit comes from what? A root. So the only way you have fruit of righteousness is by the root of righteousness. You've accepted Jesus and you know you're righteous, then you bear fruit. You cannot bear the fruit of righteousness until you know you're righteous by faith. And that root's on the inside of you. You draw from it and fruits come out. If you do not, if you're not born again and you don't have the root of righteousness in you, then you're religious and you have, you have plastic fruit. You're the fruit of the loom guy. Fake love, fake joy, fake peace, fake patience, fake, fake goodness. You can fake it, but there's only one article. And if you have the root of righteousness, you can bear that fruit. And so you have to understand righteousness first. And it says these fruits are by Jesus Christ. Say, by Jesus Christ. He's the source of it. So often we, 
as Christians think, you know, our faith is the source of the power. No, our faith taps into the power, but he's the source of it. Oftentimes we try to operate in Christian principles, but we have disconnected ourselves from Jesus as the source. We're not praying, we're not reading the word, we're not drawing from him as the source, and we just think it's faith, faith, faith. I'll operate in the principles, and then we find out why are we lacking the power. And so Lawrence of Arabia once brought a group of Bedouins, this is people that dwelled in the desert, that he brought a group to, of these guys, Bedouins, to London and housed them in a beautiful hotel. The only kind of dwelling they'd ever lived in was a tent in the desert. They quickly became fascinated with the faucets in the hotel. They were almost like magic. You turned it and water. And in the desert, water was hard to come by. So, but in the hotel, it was merely turn the knob and get all the water you needed. So when Lawrence helped them pack up to leave, he discovered they had taken all the faucets <laughs> off, the, off the sinks and put them in their bags. They believed that if they possessed the faucets, they possessed the water. No, that's like our faith. Our faith is the faucet that turns on the power, but Jesus is the source. And you're trying to operate in faith. You're trying to operate in the things of God, but you've lost connection with the source. If If you're not bearing the fruit of righteousness, check, are you connected to the source as you should? And so look at verse 12. Paul says, but I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. What things happened to Paul? Well, he got, he got put in chains. He got put on a ship for a three-hour tour. Had a shipwreck. Made friends with a, a volleyball. And then got put in a ship and they shipped him to Rome. And he's in Rome, he's in prison, in chains, and the devil says, I got him, I got that preacher. I shut him up. I got him in a jail cell. He can't cause any more problems. And Paul says, I want you to know something. I want you to learn a lesson from my life that what the devil's done is actually turned around and furthered the gospel. There's one thing I've learned in my life. When the devil starts messing, God starts blessing. I want you to say that. When, When the devil starts messing... God starts blessing. But if your attitude's right, I guarantee you the temptation is to have the poochy lip. <laughs> oh, look at me. <laughs> Guys, God cannot move with the poochy lip. Instead of the poochy lip, you need to put your praise on. Now, I want you to practice. This is what you do. Instead of the poochy lip, put your hands up. Go, whoop, 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 All right, one more time, whoop, whoop, all right. Once you get your whoop, whoop on, he's able to start turning around what the devil's meant to destroy you to work for you. He said, I want you to understand this principle. This is what will work in your life. The things, the, the things that happened to me. Look at the word happened to me. It's kata in the Greek, which means down. It's what the devil come to dominate me with, to put me down, to depress me. God turned around to exalt me. And it turned out, it turned around for my furtherance. For the furtherance of the kingdom of God. For the furtherance of the gospel. I love the Greek word for furtherance. It means to cut in advance. To cut in advance. It was used of the Roman army that they would come and they would travel from one place to another. And sometimes they came up against a forest. So either they had to stop and go all the way around the forest, but they learned that wastes time. So they had, a, they had a, a troop of Roman soldiers. That's all they did. They went in front of the army and they were woodcutters, experienced woodcutters. And they would cut down the forest Instead of having to go around a situation, they went right through the forest and the army would follow the advanced troop of woodcutters and they would blaze a trail where there wasn't one before. And Paul says, because of what the devil did to me, that God turned it around as an advanced troop of woodcutters and blazed a path where the gospel's never been before. To Nero, 
to government officials of Rome. The gospel had not been preached there before, but because I got put in chains and got sent there, the devil turned, the God turned it around. The devil started messing, God started blessing and turned it around. Amen. The devil thought, I'm going to shut them down. I'm going to shut them down. No, no, no. It actually turned around for the furtherance. Let me tell you something. If you'll go from the poochy lip to whoop, whoop, try it, whoop, whoop. If you go from poochy lip to whoop, whoop, the God will cause what the devil came to, to destroy you that he'll actually put you in a better place than if you ever, if it ever would have happened that he hadn't touched you. God can only do that. He can take you and make you be in a better place ever than you could have been if he never started to mess with you in the first place. Man, you got it. John Bunyan was a preacher. Now, when I had my notes, it said Paul Bunyan. I'm like, that don't sound right. That's the guy with the axe with the big ox. So, no, it was not Paul Bunyan, John Bunyan. And so John Bunyan got arrested for his faith. And every day they let him walk in the courtyard. And so he started having Bible study in the courtyard, started teaching to the inmates. And the inmates were getting saved. And matter of fact, it was so powerful, there were people on the outside of the walls of the prison came from the outside just to hear at the set time when he would be there to listen to preach. People were getting saved outside the walls of the prison. Matter of fact, they got tired of that and said, well, we're going to stop this. So they stopped that and said, you can't go out in the prison yard anymore. We're sticking you in a cell all by yourself, solitary confinement for you. We'll stop you. Well, did it? No, because guess what? What did he do with his free time? He wrote Pilgrim's Progress, a book that changed lives for centuries. See, when the devil starts messing, it starts dominating, it says, I got him. If you'll go from poochy lip to whoop, whoop, God will turn it around and allow you to go to a place that you never could have gone to if the devil hadn't messed with you. Now, some of you need to learn to get your whoop whoop on. That, that's your problem. There's still too much poochy, poochy lip in this room. Amen. Say, so I'm going to give up the poochy lip. I'm going to get my whoop whoop on. All right. Verse 13. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. He says it's become evident. Say evident. The Greek word for evident is the Greek word for shining. My chains are shining. It's a beacon of light. People are seeing it. That No, Paul's not in here for his own reason. He's in here because of Jesus. He's in here because of God. He's in there because of the gospel. And, and God made his chains shine. Guys, the devil will try to shackle you. Shackle you with affliction, shackle you with shame and condemnation, and you can take all that in. Or you say, no, no, I'm going to throw it off because God's turning it around. He's turning it around. He's turn I'm not poochy-lipping, I'm whoop-whooping, and I'm going to allow God to turn it around. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. He's turning it around. The devil's thought he stopped you. He killed it. He thinks he's killed that thing in your life, killed your relationships. He's killed your ministry. He's, he's shut it down. But no, no, no. God's turning it around, and you're going to a new level. You're making me treach. Stop it. That was true of Joseph in the Old Testament. The devil put him in shackles, put him in a prison. I stopped that, the plan of God. No, no, no. God made his chain shine. So much so that Pharaoh saw it, lifted him up, and he became the second highest in Egypt. And a plan of God was fulfilled. Daniel was thrown with chains, and, and, and he, was, he was cat, cat lunch and catnip and put in there with the, with the lions. And, but guess what? His chains shone. So much so he came out and became the second highest in Babylon or media Persian. And, and so when Satan tries to put shackles of affliction on you, God will make them shine and turn them around. And so much so, it says, my chains became evident 
into all the palace. That's not a good translation in the Greek. It says praetorium. That's where the praetorian guard was. Well, what was the praetorian guard? The praetorian guard were 10,000 soldiers that were Nero's private bodyguard. The private bodyguard. These guys were powerful. These guys had barracks that were attached to the emperor's palace. They got double pay. They had great influence and power. They even called the Praetorian Guard kingmakers. The kingmakers. Why? Because the emperor would court their favor because if not, one of them would kill the emperor. Being so close in the, to his presence, they would kill him and install another emperor of their choosing. So the emperor courted their favor. They had great power in the kingdom. And these were the people that the, the chains started shining to because guess what? Because these soldiers were in charge of, of, of guarding Paul. Every six hours, Paul had two soldiers, new soldiers, chained to him. And the soldiers like, oh, we got Paul chained. And Paul said, no, I got you chained. <laughs> I have two fresh person to preach to for six hours. And they were getting born again. They were leaving, going home, and getting their wives and their children saved. And it says all of Neil's house was getting saved. It says when the devil starts messing, God starts blessing. Whoop, whoop. But notice it... it it impacted the palace, but look at the verse at the end. In all other places, all other places. The devil thought, I'd shut this preacher down. But no, it went everywhere. What did Paul do with his free time? I'm going to write a partner letter to Philippi. I'm going to write Ephesians. I'm going to write Philemon. Mignon. I'm going to write Colossians. Letters that have an impact all around the world. When the devil starts messing, God starts blessing. Whoop, whoop. Watchman Nee was, a, Chinese, was a, a man from China, and he got put in prison for his faith for 20 years. And in prison, he couldn't witness to anybody, couldn't go anywhere, but someone on the outside that had listened to his sermons were writing books. You know, he only wrote one personal book called The Spiritual Man at the very early of his ministry. Every other book, Watchman If you haven't read Watchman Nee, it's not light reading. It's so filled with revelation. One, one page will take an hour just to meditate on. And, it says, and while he was in prison, someone was outside writing his notes down and writing books for Watchman Nee that goes around the world today. We're reading it. When the devil starts messing, God starts blessing. All right, the next three verses we're going to read together, or four verses, I think it's three, 14, 15, 16, it's four verses. And I'm going to read them all together because they all go together. There's two types of group of people talked about in these verses that's very important. And we'll end here. Look at verse 14 through verse 17. And most... Of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Say most. most. One more time. Most. most. Most of the brethren have become confident in my chains, are more bold to speak the word. Basically, these group of people are saying that if Paul can be bold, if Paul can preach the gospel in there, I have no excuse not to preach it out here. They got more bold by looking at Paul. Looking at his testimony of his life, his chain shining. He says, we can do that out here. And so they became bold. In this ver this, these verses, there's a powerful, powerful life lesson, powerful, powerful ministry lesson. And so you're called to ministry. I'm gonna, we're going to tell something that's really going to, if you were, the Holy Spirit's going to remind you this, it's going to help you one day. So he says, most, say most. Most, most were behind Paul. But I want you to see there was another group. When adversity happens, two group of people are going to pop out of the bushes. There are going to be people that are for you and people that are against you. That's Oklahoma for for you and against you. And they'll come out when you're in a trial. But I want you to see something. Most of the brethren, say most, most. were for me, were behind me, loved my ministry. But I want you to look at the next one, some. Say some. some. 
some indeed preached Christ even from envy and strife, and, and they, they were jealous of Paul. So they were just preaching to get Paul into greater trouble and see if it, they would get him killed. Some indeed preached Christ even from envy and strife, some from goodwill. The former preached Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my chains, the latter out of love, knowing I've appointed for the defense of the gospel. He says, most was for me. Most. But there's just some that was against me. This brings out in ministry. If you're called to ministry, you need to learn this. Most of the people are going to receive from your ministry. They're being blessed by your ministry. They're for you. They are being blessed. But there are some. There are some what I call knucklers. Some people that cause problems. They don't like you. They complain against you. And you've got to understand the, the most in some principle. The, some, the, the most in some principle of ministry. Because guess what? The devil wants you to focus on the some instead of the most. You have so many people being blessed by your ministry. But the devil has one or two come up to you and they want to fight you and they want to degrade you. They want to complain or they want to run you down. And you walk away. Guess what you think about? The sum. Oh, things are so bad in the ministry. Oh, I want to give up. Get your eyes off the sum and get them on the most. How are you going to go from poochie lip to whoop, whoop? Get your eyes on the most, not the sum. That's a life principle, guys. You can have so many areas of your life going well. God's blessing. It's so great. If you're born again, raise your hand. Everything spiritually is awesome. There is not one negative thing you got in the spirit realm going on. It's all awesome. You're not going to hell. Whoop, whoop. It's awesome. But even in the natural, you have a way much more stuff going right in the natural than the few things going wrong. Did you show up? Did you breathe this morning? Well, that's good. Are you sitting there with no pain in your body? Yeah, that's really good. Well, my knee hurts, Pastor. Your other knee doesn't. Your elbows are fine. Your uvula works. Do you live in a house with a roof? Do you have have food to eat? Do you have water to drink? Did you have a car you drove in? Do you have a job that you go to? You have so much more positive than negative, but the devil wants you to focus on the one or two things that are not what you want. And you're ready to give up. Most, some. We all can do this in our personal lives. We can get focused on the few areas that are not as we would like them. And here's a spoiler. You will never have everything going right. You will never have everything going right in the natural. You have a choice every day to focus on the most, not the sum. We can get focused on the few areas that are not as we would like them and neglect to see all the areas that are good. You can get discouraged and sad when you should be shouting and glad. I have a question for you. If how you've been dealing with your sum was imitated by everyone around you, would you say, that's awesome? Or would you be embarrassed that they are imitating how you're handling your son? You can turn it around. Put your lip in. God will turn around the worst into the best. Bow your heads. Father, I thank you for the word of God. Thank you for your power, Lord. You have the power to turn around everything the devil's doing in our life and make it as an advanced woodcutting troop and blaze a trail and let us end up in a place we would have never ended up unless the devil started messing. But it's the attitude.
It's your attitude. You realize today, you know, my attitude needs to change. And I need to trust God. And if that's you, and you're ready for him to turn it around, because he'll turn it around. I promise you, he'll turn it around. He will turn it around. But if that's you and you're like, I'm ready for that attitude change, raise your hand high right before the Lord. Father, I thank you for the many hands that are raised. Father, they're going to stop focusing on the sum. And they're going to focus on the most. They're going to focus on your goodness and your power. And they're going to hand over what the devil's done. And God, you're going to turn it around. You're the, you're the, the turnaround God. And you're turning it around. And you're going to make them end up in a place far better than they could have ever been otherwise. That's what you do. And I think you're doing it now. You're doing it now. You're doing it right now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's worship God. Amen. Can we stand as we enter in this time? Amen. I saw um, a clock, a big clock, and I saw that it had it was still working, the mechanics were still working and ticking, but I saw the enemy hold his finger so that the little hands couldn't move. And I saw that as people were starting to praise God and get a revelation of how this message is going to put faith in your heart that Jesus is the source, as you're praising him, I see the enemy lift off, like the Lord, like lifting off his hands off of the clock. And the clock started to tick again. But then I, heard, then I saw the clock, those hands, they're spinning fast and they're catching up time that you have lost because the enemy has had his finger on your clock. Amen. And so I even feel, Rick, I even feel like that is for this building. I feel like that clock is just like spinning so fast and we've all got to get ready for what God is doing. So don't only expect that you're going to take a step from where you were when it felt like you were stuck. You have to imagine yourself where you would have been. You have to imagine yourself what you would have had, where your children would have been, where your finances would have been. Because that's where, if you put your faith in the Word of God and in the message that you heard today, that's where you're going to take off from. Amen? Amen. during first service Pastor Rick wanted me to share with the entire church and while we were doing praise and worship I saw three words I saw width I saw fire and I saw bulk and I saw the Lord, the Lord said or would say that the church has developed depth but now you're graduating or you're going from depth to width in the name of Jesus and I saw Pastor Rick and, and Joanne, Pastor Joanne, linked their arms together, and then all the way down to the right, as far as I could see, there were people with their arms linked, linked together. And then I looked all the way to the uh, right, and I saw the arms linked together. And God said, you've had depth, now I am going to add a dimension of width. Uh, I, I'm going to widen you in the name of Jesus. And then with that, people are falling into place and coming into alignment and the fire and the passion that has been on the inside of them. They've been unable to really become passionate about what God is doing at River Rock, but they're going to fall into place and it's going to release the fire and the passion of God that has been contained within them because they've been out of position in the name of Jesus. And then I saw the Lord, I saw somebody with bulky winter clothes on and the winter was coming to an end and a spring was springing forth. And, and you know how you can't move, you can't advance when you got all that bulky clothes on, you got bulky overalls on and, and, and all that other, you know, all those winter clothes on that your mom used to wrap you with. Hallelujah. You seen that story, Christmas story where the kid fell down, couldn't get back up because of all the bulk. Well, God's shedding that bulk. The bulkiness of ministry is going away because the seasons are changing. 
And I heard the word say width. The Lord said width. I'm adding width. I'm, I'm, I'm adding fire. And I'm getting rid of the bulkiness of ministry because now is the time to advance. And I saw everybody fall in a line. And I didn't share this with first. But then I saw everybody fall in a line. I saw Pastor Rick look to the right. Look to the left, and then he took a step forward. And with arm's length, the whole you all began to move. And God said, you're going to take the width. You're going to take lots of territory. The depth is here, and now God said the width is being added, and it is now time to advance. God was speaking to my heart. What are we expecting? A lady can be pregnant with a child. She's expecting nine months she's going to have a baby. You can be working the same job and the same job and doing the same thing over and over again, and you never expect that to change. We need to put faith and expectancy that God will answer and God will turn your captivity. You never give up on God. He has never given up on you, and you must remember, he is faithful. He will keep his promise to support you, to help you. Relax in the faithfulness of God. Relax in the fact that he has always been there. Expect God to move. This is your life of turnaround. It starts this year. And from this day forth, you will move forward and do what you're called to do and succeed and not fail. There's anointing on each and every one of you. You are called. Don't expect what the devil tells you. Expect what God and his word tells you. Move forward. Be bold. And take no and kick it out the door and say yes to expecting God moving in your life and being consistent with you. Hallelujah. Raise your hand if you receive that. Go whoop, whoop. Amen. You can be seated. We turn the lights on, and we're uh, going to continue to worship the Lord with our tithes and offerings. 